All right, welcome into the first actual episode with a guest of There Will Be Bourbon. Tonight I have retired CIA paramilitary operations officer, Ron Moeller. Uh, I would advise you to subscribe and do all that stuff now because after this, I can't guarantee the show gets better, but I can guarantee it's gonna get worse. Okay, so the bar, we're at it, all right? Um, and before I get into him and let you know all about what he's doing, uh, the show is, you know, centered around bourbon for the most part. It facilitates discussion in my mind. So tonight we're going to do a little Stag Junior. This is my personal favorite. It comes from the Goat Distillery, Buffalo Trace. Uh, it's a mix of eight and nine year bourbons. Uh, it comes in at barrel proof, so it's about 128 proof. I'm going to mail a bottle out to Ron so he can experience this greatness. But uh, Ron, what are you drinking on, my friend? I am drinking uh, old Ezra number seven here uh, that, that, uh, that a kind soul sent out to me. Oh, would that be? Gee, I wonder who that would be. <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay. So now that you know what we're doing, hopefully you guys got a glass when you review this stuff. If you don't, I advise you to do it because bourbon is, like, as I said before, the American spirit and we're all Americans here, right? So let's, you know, imbibe, especially with 4th of July coming, celebrate freedom. All right. So Ron. All right, this is Ron's bio, everyone. So I, I just, we're, we're going to try and hit the highlights because it's, it's enough to kind of make you feel very inadequate. All right, so Ron spent how many total years of service? 38. 38 years of service. For context, I am 39. So this man has been doing things that we all should be grateful for for a very, very long time. Uh, but we're going to start. You enlisted into the Air Force of all branches in 1976 as an intelligence operation, basically a generalist. What made you choose the Air Force from at the time? <laughs> oh God, uh, geez, without going into all sorts of family drama at, at the home front, um, uh, college wasn't an option for, because of financials. And uh, my, my parents uh, didn't believe in filling out financial aid forms because it was nobody's fucking business you know, <laughs> how much money they made. And uh, that sort of thing. So, well, my dad had had some business reversals and, and things like that. So it was, uh, he, his pride was a little sensitive. Uh, so he said, hey, I was in the Air Force. You should, you should go join the okay. military. So he dropped me off at the, at the lovely uh, Armed Forces Recruiting Center. And um, it was lunchtime. The Army guy was gone. The Marine guy was gone. The Navy guy was gone. Coast Guard dude was gone. And there was the Air Force guy just getting ready to go eat lunch. And I said, Dude, I can't leave here until I've got a contract. You know, save me. So yeah, it was a, and and he had been a an airborne intelligence guy, you know, flying around, listening, you know, intercepting uh, voice radio, things like that. Um, he asked me what I like to do. I told him I, you know, history, social studies, poly, political science, that sort of thing. So you know, he pulled out his. The big, the big uh, AFSC MOS for you Army types book, and he he flips to the uh, appropriate numerical code, and you know there's the SIGINT guys, and there's the imagery guys, and there's the you know the voice intercept guys, and I'm reading it, and it's all very dry government prose, and I'm like, oh shit, this is gonna really suck. And then hey, here's this general intel thing, a little bit of a little bit of everything. Little salt, little pepper, little Tabasco, you know, it's all good. So uh, I said, "Yeah, sign me up for this." Oh, wait, wait, not so fast. You got to take the ASVAB. What the hell's the ASVAB? I mean, I I did the SATs. Don't they? Don't those count? 
don't those credits transfer? No, I know, I know. I'm talking <laughs> to a recruiter here, right? So I, I, I had to go take the ASVAB a few weeks later. And uh, yeah, surprise, surprise. I guess I passed because, gee, you can do any job you want in this whole book. And I'm going, yeah, okay, great. I want to do that one. Well, the first opening for the the uh, the A school or tech training or whatever y'all call it in the army, um, yeah. advanced course, you know, is uh, you know, or, or the is um, wasn't until October. Well, this is like freaking March, April, and I'm like, oh shit, what am I going to do all summer? So, hey, Dad, uh, I guess you're you're stuck with me for a while, and Mom, and so I'm. So, uh, but in, in uh, mid-October, off I went, and uh, they dropped me off in Portland, Oregon, and and I did the whole, uh, you know, turn your head to the left and cough, and uh, and then you're standing there with a bunch of people, and you're all swearing allegiance to the country, and uh, your your oath, and uh, we all get taken on an airplane to lovely downtown Lackland, and it oh dark early in the middle of the Texas night, you know, I'm I find the yellow footprints and I. I get introduced. So it was, uh, it was, you know, but after that air force basic training was, uh, was like summer boy scout summer camp, except we got to shoot real guns. Yeah. I so. feel like knowing who you or knowing your personality a little bit, I feel like you probably were like me and you really enjoyed basically. Well, I was seven, I was 17 when I went, I mean, I was, was I was, I, I was, yeah. And, and, um, most of the guys that I swore, you know, at, at the uh, at the MEP station there in Portland, were they were all going Army, Marines, whatever, and yeah. and I was one of the few Air Force guys, and um, but most of the people in uh, my uh, basic training uh, flight um, <clears throat> were either from uh, Southern Alabama, from two different counties, a dry county and a wet county, and with the appropriate racial makeup and educational levels therein, or the south side of Chicago with, um, I mean, before we all got haircuts, Yeah. I mean, you know, I grew up in white bread, Oregon, right? So, you know, but despite what's on Twitter these days, I'm really not a racist, honest. I'm just... <laughs> But, you know, this is like 76, and when there's some dude, you know, talking in gang lingo with an afro, you know, wider than the door than the door opening, um, it's a little intimidating for a little 17-year-old punk kid from, uh, from Oregon. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was educational, but uh, it, was, it was fun. Yeah, I still, uh, I still remember. It's, kind of, it's very similar. Um, my battle buddy in basic training and i won't say his name but he he comes from a city actually that our, our good friend nick lives in that was i would say that's <laughs> well that's his name let's put it that way uh but yeah he was a he was a he was part of that program still that was going on where it's like hey look you can go to jail or you can enlist right and he, was a, <laughs> he was a crip from the la area one of the best dudes i ever was around great guy but it's the same thing and then i had another buddy in ait who uh he was from kodiak alaska Nice. And had never been off of, never been off his island because Kodiak is apparently an island in the middle of Alaska, wherever. Never been yeah, on an it's, island. It's gorgeous. A, yeah, never been on an airplane, and uh, he found himself with us in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, at basic training. So that guy was there. <laughs> he was fun, and he was about the shade of this paper I printed your bio on. Ron. So he was a great guy, though. But I think kind of what you're alluding to is just. No, I don't know what everything went on afterwards, but the best part, I think, when you, when 
when you start that initial entry training in the military is you're just brought together with everybody and you just, exactly. figure, you just figure it out. You know, all that, everybody's got their own personal biases, but you, you know, you have no choice but to get rid of them or else you're all going to fail. So exactly. And believe me, we all got tired of doing push-ups real quick. I loved it. I am not going to lie. Like I said, I was 21 and, and I found out after the first week, like the first week I had culture shock, but after that I realized this is, Everything based on being in the in basic training, it's all centered around sarcasm. I thrive in that environment, so let's go. And that's why I <laughs> it was basic training all over, and I just I loved it. But uh, yeah, um, so you did okay. You did that, and then uh, I I do enjoy the fact that your first assignment was essentially you said you learned how to write backwards on a plexiglass. Oh yeah, this is like now. This is early '77. So you guys have to learn backwards writing. Well, we didn't have. I mean, there was no PowerPoint. I mean, computers were <laughs> exactly. were, were were the were the size of houses, you know. So I mean, um, so it was an old plexiglass status board. It was it was a a blue flag exercise, which is a a, a command and control exercise version of of red flag, and things like that, and the and. So I show up, I'm, I'm, you know, wet behind the years, 18 year old, two striper, because I got a meritorious promotion and stuff like that. Of course you did. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know, hey, Mr. D.I., can I kiss your butt a little bit more? You know, hey, it's money, dude. It's all about the money. Anyways, so uh, I show up there and, and I'm, I'm like, literally, I've been at the, uh, at Bergstrom Air Base there in Austin for like two, three weeks. And they just sort of, hey, here's, here's a, you know, Here's a guy, he's breathing and he's reasonably competent. You know, he can tie his, his shoes type of thing, his, his boots. And, and uh, so they put me in with this old uh, pilot, Major. And uh, he was one of the wild weasels from Vietnam and flew the old F-105 Thunder Chiefs. And, uh, you know, yeah, going toe-to-toe with SA-2s, SAMs, and, and things like that. And... You know, he taught me all sorts of stuff about that. I mean, because I'm just sitting there, you know, like, I'm a sponge, you know, feed me, please. <laughs> and, but as part of the exercise, we had to maintain a status board on stuff like that. Well, you know, because you couldn't get in the way of the, of the people in the front seeing the status, I had to get behind and I had to do everything backwards. So in a way, it was kind of good practice for when I went to Arabic school many years later. So, you know. Learning to write backwards, yeah, but backwards, not backwards. but it was uh, it was it was a great two weeks. I uh, I learned a lot. The uh, yeah the uh, I mean I, the major's name escapes me, but it was uh, it was educational and and uh, it brought it. You know this is some serious business that the Air Force guys were. You know they just come out of Vietnam. I mean a few years ago, so so the lessons were still there and and going against Sam's was uh, pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, because you mentioned that I. Well, where did you have that at? Well, yeah, so you moved on to Seoul into Korea, and your first, it, I swear, this cracks me up, because you say your first shift involved North Korea attempting to shoot down the SR-70, an SR-71, and right. it reminds me of my grandfather, because his first night in Korea, in the Korean War as a 17-year-old, you know, he's a combat engineer, he tells us the story, first night, he was on the 50, doing, you know, basically, he was at the ECP at the time, I don't know what they were called then, and they were overrun. And I'm like, okay, this reminds me of <laughs> the same thing. Like first night, <laughs> we got to figure some stuff out. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so you know, I'd gotten there a, a month before, and, and I had to go through, you know, left seat, right seat, 
training, and I had to actually be certified as a as a watch NCO to uh, to do that. And so I'm sitting there, and and uh, there's um, oh God, I can still I can still rem- I can still see her because Navy Lieutenant 03 with great legs who had no problem putting putting always wore a skirt, her khaki skirt, and always and had no problem putting her. Her, her her feet up on the on the on the watch desk, so we could all gaze at her magnificent calves, knees, and <clears throat> you know, you know, onward. Anyways, uh, and there was an old crusty uh, Navy E8 um, SIGINT guy, you yeah. know, very very old school, who again taught me a lot about SIGINT and and how to be an NCO. Because so the Air Force, Ron, because there's going to be a lot of people that don't know what SIGINT is. So, oh, signals intelligence. Um, and you know, listening human guy, which is human intelligence. So, for everyone right. who doesn't know what that is, now you know. But go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. It's, what do you mean? Everybody doesn't know. You're supposed to know <laughs> these things. You know, get smart, people. Um, zero four five percent, Ron. That's what we are. <laughs> yeah, I got it. So, anyway, so I'm sitting there doing, you know, the normal shift work, and um, there was an. Um, SR-71 mission that went along and just south of the DMZ, you know, went from uh, east to west and then did a, another leg and then re- went down to Kadena, Okinawa to recover where the SR-71s were forward based from California at the time. Um, well, you know, when the SR-71 guys downloaded their tapes, we were all still on shift and, oh, shit, you know, the North Koreans shot at us. Of course, you know, we're like 10 miles in front by the time the SA, the, the, what was it, an SA-3 or SA-2 or SA-6, I can't remember. One of the different missiles that the Russians had sold them or given them um, had exploded behind them. They're like, oh, gee. And, of course, that gets put in a, you know, an, an op immediate type message. And everybody starts, you know, immediately, like, oh, my God, we're going to war. We're going to war. And North Koreans have shot it. Like, yeah, but if we didn't have the 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 the, the, ta- the tapes from the the rear warning receiver that they, you know, because ta- I guess it bleeped real quick on the, uh, you know, on the pilot's instrument panel, but he was so busy doing all the other stuff because the North Koreans were always trying to uh, not so much jam the navigation aids, but um, change them so they would entice the uh, either the U two or the SR seventy one or or the RC-135, or, or even the old OV-1 Mohawks that the Army guys would fly to cross over the DMZ into North Korean airspace so they could have a, an incident. Right. And so the pilot was pretty busy. But, yeah, so anyways, so that freaked everybody out. And uh, then about uh, two, three weeks later, they, uh, they did the same. There was a choice of four different SR-71 flight plans. You know, God knows we, we only, like, we did one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Even North Korean, even a blind North Korean can figure that one out after a while. And so we, uh, a couple of weeks later, we decided we were going to do the same track. And the, um, we had, I think the A-10s had just shown up and we had uh, F-4s and um, you know, F-5s from the Koreans, the South Koreans. And the thing. everybody is loaded with iron bombs and or we're all going to, you know, so if the North Koreans were going to shoot, we were going to be ready this time. We had all sorts of other little uh, collectors out there to detect the launch. Of course, a couple days earlier, an, um, an RF-4 a reconnaissance version of the Phantom had flown past and done a, a side look into North Korea. Oh, 
I guess the North Koreans did whatever they wanted to do. They've disassembled and, and the site and all the equipment's gone. So we already sort of knew that nothing was going to happen, but it was still um, pretty, uh, pretty intense. What year was this? This was 81. This was uh, the, the fall of 81. So given everything else, obviously, that was, so that was post-election. Reagan was first elected. Right. And obviously things ramped up with the Cold War at the same time. But what was, how was North Korea viewed then? Oh, God, they were, uh, I mean. Because <laughs> I was born in 80, Ron, just so, you know, so I don't know. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Uh, my daughter well, I was born my in dad 80. on Twitter because look. <laughs> yeah, my, and my my son found out about that. He's gonna, you know, if you ever if you ever TDY to Ford Bragg, he's gonna look you up, and he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna, he's gonna absolutely. He'll take you out to the wood line and he'll he'll smoke your ass. I'm <laughs> 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 no, just Love kidding. It. Anyways, um, the um, yeah, the North Koreans were. I mean. Because um, when did so, they become like this threat that everyone is so? Well, they've always been a threat since since you know when you're when you know yeah. your your but pop was like out we're there. So afraid of them, I feel like now. Well, they're, it's, it's because they're unpredictable. They're they're so unpredictable. I, I mean, so I think Kim Il Sung had died. So his uh, his son, there, yeah. uh, Kim Jong Il, whatever or whatever. God, I can't. You know, one of the, one of the Kim boys. Yeah, I think it is Kim Jong Il, and right now it's Kim. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, and uh, so he he had taken, and he was you know again, we didn't know a lot about him. I mean, it took years to develop just Kim Il Sung biography and, and a profile, so you could kind of anticipate this and that. There was there was a guy there at, at uh, U.S. Forces Korea, an an old 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 civilian. I mean, I think he he'd been born and lived in Korea before Korea became a peninsula. I mean, this guy was ancient, yeah. but. He spoke the language. He knew the culture. He knew North Korea. He, he was, I mean, he would come down and he, he would sort of pat it, you know, uh, one of those typical, you know, Uber Intel guys, you know, that's yeah. nobody wants to uh, bother because he's, his, he's, he, he's the, he's the million pound brain guy. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, so it was, um, but he uh, gave us a lot of good, uh, stuff on that and and not just to me obviously i'm i'm like the low-ranking dude in the room i mean yeah, you're young guy there's point, so. there's there's the four-star commander and you know generals and all the all the deputy generals i mean yeah. man i i said damn i could get an astronomy merit badge here there's so many freaking stars <laughs> it was awesome so yeah you can see i'm a sarcastic bastard too I know, so. I, I know you are and that's why that's exactly why we get along okay so you 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 moved on from that, and you, and I didn't know this. You, you did 11 years in the Air Force. For some reason, I was always under the guise that you did three, and then you got out. Oh, like, I did your initial enlistment, got out, and then went into 11 eight. years, three months, and two days, not that I counted. <laughs> okay, so you got down on here that you answered an ad, which I think, like I told you in the little pre-show fistfight that we were doing, that um, you answered an Army ad or an ad for an Army program known as MyCP which was military military intelligence civilian accepted career program. That is so DOD right there. If anyone does Department of Defense, but if, yeah, if you don't understand, like the the Department of Defense has more acronyms, they don't even know what any of them are at this point. They're just too many. They they have a dictionary about yay thick. Exactly. And it broken down by services. So you answered an ad. What what was the ad? Were they just like, Hey, it was, it was, it was, it was a nice quarter page ad in, in army or air force times. Um, 
you know, do you like to travel? Do you speak a foreign language? You what know, was are you, are, you spoke at the time? I, I spoke German because my oh, yeah. parents were yeah. you know, German. So, and uh, a little bit of Korean. Um, and uh, you like to travel and you have a college degree and I was yeah, finishing yeah, yeah. up my, right. so very I was finishing up my master's on, you know, at night part time. Yeah. So that's very important. It, Before Ron goes any further, look, cause I've done it and he's done it. And there's many of us amongst, you know, the, the military that have done it. If you're a young soldier in any branch, Looking at this right now, go to college. Oh yeah, and don't use don't use. Oh, I got a I got a, a full time job. I can't go up. Uh, look, I did my master's doing recruiting. You can do this, okay? So, yes, you can. I mean, the Air Force was paying 90 percent tuition assistance. Yeah. yeah, I'm. I couldn't afford not to go to school. My my yeah. my wife was literally oh, saying, now, do this. But yeah, so okay, oh. so you you did that. You responded to the ad. I, I did it. I, you know, I sent, I sent, I sent him a crappy resume, not as, not as Gucci <laughs> as the one you got there. And, um, right. so yeah, stop. It doesn't look that big on my screen. And, um, the, uh, and I, I got a response within, in, within a, a couple of weeks and, uh, a guy flew out to uh, St. Louis and he met me in a hotel room, really crappy hotel room too. And, uh, <laughs> and it was standards that you were used to. So, well, it was, it was just a crappy room period. I mean, it was, you know, it was, you know, La Quinta in minus. Um, so <laughs> it was, the eighties, uh, they didn't really have quality of life as a concern. You this, I got it. The eighties were horrible all around. Even I know that. Hey, the music was great. The music was great. I agree. I would love to bring that back. Metal, pop, all of it was great in the 80s. That was about it. Design, cars, everything, awful. Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm tracking. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> anyway, so I meet. Um, he gives me an interview, and he, I guess I answered it all. He, and the MySep uh, program was uh, really had two tracks, two, two career paths in it. One, you could do counterintelligence, okay. you know, catch spies. Or the other one was um, what they called AI, area intelligence, or what we now call FI, field intelligence or foreign intelligence, which is go out and, and recruit spies and gather intelligence. Um, he asked me which one I would prefer because I guess I was qualified for either one. I, <laughs> yeah, hell. And I said, well, you know, I gave, this, I gave the, what I thought was the correct proper answer. Well, whatever the needs of the Army are, I'll, I'll be happy to do that. You know. Because I really didn't want to re-enlist again for a, a you know a third enlistment, and uh, I wanted to you know I'd invested all this time and effort and and emotion and you know some heartbreak at home and stuff like that yeah because you're taking time away you, from the family the typical story got it right yeah and so you know I wanted I wanted to uh, you know like advance I didn't want to just like hey go look at me I'm an E7 and I and I've got a master's degree. Sorry. And, uh, you know, and I, and I have to go work for some second lieutenant who is like, well, I just graduated from college and, and I'm your boss and I'm smart. And I'm going, okay, yeah, never mind. Because the Air Force is a lot different than the Army. And yeah. I mean, my son's a platoon sergeant in the 82nd. So, you know, he really, he rules the platoon and, and the, and the poor oh, lieutenant. It's a very different world. I understand. It is, and uh, he 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 uh, he dominates, as he likes as to put it. As he and he does very well, and diplomatically too. So. It's all about that. 
it is. Uh, it's it's an art. Anyway, so uh, he said, well, um, well, we'll be in touch. So I'm going, oh, shit. So um, a couple weeks later, I, I have a telephone interview, and um, they, they said, all right, we're going to, you know, you know, we're going to pick you for the uh, the FIAI track, the you know human gathering stuff. I go great. Um, when do you, when do you, when are you going to be available? This is like um, the fall of '87, uh, and I was getting ready to finish my masters. I had like one last course to do, and which was really which ended a week before uh, my enlistment ended in in January of '88. So, I said, All right. yeah, I said, well, great. Well. Um, so uh, can you show up on this Tuesday in January, which happened to be the Tuesday right after the initial Martin Luther King holiday in 1988? So worked out. So I literally had three days of unemployment, which gave me time to, you know, you know, put my little Subaru from St. Louis over to uh, D.C. And uh, so we did that. And, and I did two weeks of in-processing or maybe it was a week. And... Uh, you get to start meeting your classmates, your other your other fellow myceps, and um, yeah, I'm going like, what the hell have I gotten myself into? And then one and then one day they said, because we're all like, okay, where where do we go to school? What's the training? What's what's going on? They say, you're gonna go to a place called the farm. <laughs> I'm like, cool. So that's real. That's a real thing, huh? Well, that's what everybody calls it, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, so, yeah, I've learned, so. I've learned so much about the CIA from TV. I just want to know it's real. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's all kabuki theater. And uh, it's, uh, so, yeah, so uh, we, uh, we're told we, we get to, we, we can't, you know, so whatever day we're supposed to report, we can't report any, any earlier. And we have like a one, two-hour window to, uh, to get south of Washington and, and show up at the farm and, and yeah, boy, they, they take the whole, when you get there, it's, it's, it, there's no humor, you know, there's no sarcasm, you know, these guys are locked and loaded. They're very serious and uh, they expect you to be as well. So no fun, uh, what you're saying. Yeah, it was, it was a learning experience. I mean, it was, it was six months of, uh, was it six, okay, it was six, six months, months. Wow. six months. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a long course, so it was uh, six but months of essentially you said their field training course. Is that well, it, 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 at the time, it was called the Military Operations Training right. Course, which was the DOD version of uh, just, of the of the uh, of, yeah. of the agency's course. And now they're all combined into the Field Training Course, the FTC. Is this still yeah. six months? Six months. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. So here's a, a lot more because I mean. Well, there's I, a lot to learn. I mean, you're. Yeah. I mean, try, my, there's, my experience, obviously, basic training, right? Eight, nine weeks, ten weeks, whatever it is now, but still. I imagine you guys are going into a much deeper dive. Oh, very, very deep. A lot, a lot of exercises, developing a lot of uh, um, muscle memory, yeah. and uh, things like that. Um, and, and you're basically thrown into. Uh, it's a little like uh, the Q course in that you're thrown into a, a scenario in in, in, okay. the, in the final Robin Sage uh, yeah. part of the Q course. You uh, you get you get to uh, you know. You're, um, there's a there's a bunch of competing countries and and you're assigned to an embassy or an army post or whatever U.S. Army post and and you have to uh, you know gather intelligence you know f uh, force protection intelligence you have to gather uh, intelligence designed to uh, you know eliminate terrorists and things like that. it was uh, it was pretty so there's a lot of lessons and it. it builds up gradually you you learn skill sets. 
and how long it's, um, that, how long had that been going on before you got there? Like, oh gosh, um, years. I mean, I mean, there was, I mean, in one way, shape, or form, I'm sure they were they were teaching the course. I mean, we had um, we had instructors. Um, most of them were agency guys. A few uh, former military guys, Air Force and Army, but um, the agency guys were probably the most exciting and and taught, I think, the best lessons. Um, they uh, they also had a, a better world view, if you will. the The military guys that were instructing, they were, I don't know, they were they were very um, narrow focused. They they had a small small aperture. Yeah, I, that's a good word for it. Because I was going to say like. We, we have a very small sight picture. Yeah, exactly. That. Found or expand upon the aperture. I mean, I, I still remember uh, one guy, an old guy. He was a old agency guy. He's, 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 he's passed now, but he, um, he taught us a story. He, he told us a story of, uh, you know, he said, you know, a lot of my fellow instructors are going to tell you all about their, their wonderful successes and beat their chest. And, and they're going to, you know, they're going to preen and they're going to, you know, strut around the stage here. And, and actually they were, we, they were in a pit and we were in like auditorium seating and there was only 30 of us in the class and the, and the agency, the, who were a week ahead of us, their, their version of the course also only had 30. Um, these days, the course is like 200 people combined. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So you can see the, uh, the, the U S government's investment in human and things yep. like that. But, um, Human Anyways, for those who don't remember, and 35 Mike if you're in the army and want to do it. But anyway, anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he t he, t he said, I'm going to tell you about one of my biggest failures, and um, that was the thing that resonated the most, I think, with with us. It, you know, it showed it it showed the human cost of what he was doing, and how, you know, you recruit people to betray their country, betray their you know what? Where their 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 uh, their their fellows yeah. and their fellow citizens, and um, sometimes those people get caught and they get killed. And uh, not only do they get killed, but their families get killed, and their whole their whole DNA strain gets gets right. wiped out. Yeah. And he told us that, and and it was let me tell you, it it, it got the old guys. sphincter tight. Yeah. So yeah, it was. So that kind of leads into my next question because you're there, you're doing that, and then you were essentially you were selected to learn Arabic. Yeah, I, after I after I graduated, um, <laughs> remarkably enough, it was <laughs> it's it's quite the learning. I mean, wait, 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 uh, real quick because I want to put context to this because this was uh let's see um I I graduated in let's see I went to school started in January, eighty eight graduated. May, June, 88. So five and a half, six months, whatever, whatever it was. It, and then uh, Arabic was uh, started in uh, about a year later, 89. Okay. You know, so just before nine, Desert. Okay. So I, as long as people can conceptualize what was Wait, going on in the world. Well, when did Desert Shield kick off? Desert Shield was what, 90? Well, the de okay, so 90, 1990, I think, was Shield. Okay, then it was then it was 90, not 89. It was it was 90. So it was the summer of 90 that I uh, I went to I, I got selected to go to Arabic. Yeah, so I would imagine because Somalia wasn't far after, which you talk about. Right. Yeah, I, I would imagine that. I guess this was all really starting to kind of permeate. Oh yeah. Well, even thing. even in the That's Air Force, okay. even while I was in the Air Force working. Uh, working in my last assignment um you know we got to uh <coughs> work uh 
Operation El Dorado Canyon when the uh, F-111s came out of England to uh, bomb Libya. Um, and then the Achille Laro, the, uh, the cruise liner that was uh, taken over by Lib Palestinian Liberation Front, whatever, I can't remember, right. you know. And they, they, uh, they threw uh, Leon Klinghoffer, that name I do remember. He was a wheelchair-bound American uh, gentleman of, of, uh, who, who happened to be Jewish. And they basically just pushed him over the side and let him drown and killed. Um, and, uh, you know, and then the, the TWA thing where uh, the Navy uh, civil engineer diver, uh, Robbie Steedham, got murdered. Um, yeah, it was, so there was, you know, I'd been working these things, you know, from obviously from afar, but, yeah. you know, there was, and, and of course the, the, the Russian Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. So there was, and then the Iranian hostage thing. And so all this happened while I was on active duty. So, yeah, I mean, it was, as you say, it's starting to coalesce. And, it's, it's amazing because we went from the cold war and right into this. And I don't think people realize that. So yeah, it was, it's, it's, it's been a never ending thing. And, and the, the cold, the cold war was easy. I mean, my wife uh, spent most of her, her, her army career in Germany working counterintelligence, catching uh, Soviet and East German spies. And she was very good at it. You might it. have to get your wife on, Ron. What the hell? Yeah, <laughs> no. Where's she at? The goon What's going on? <laughs> no, nah, she's, awesome. that's, that's not her thing. She's, yeah, no, she, 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 yeah, that's Anyway, so yeah, so uh, so yeah, so um, you know, I, I get to go to Arabic school, and and I, so I'm the only non-State Department person going. I got I didn't go to DLI, the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, or or one of yeah. the uh, satellite hey, courses in, at Fort Bragg or wherever. I got to go to the Foreign Service Institute language school there in D.C., the State Department, the <laughs> premier language school. And uh, so here I get stuck in Arabic, and I, I'm with a bunch of brand new State Department Foreign Service officers, diplomats, young diplomats. Mm -hmm. Holy fucking Lord, Jesus. Um, <laughs> you know, so the first thing everybody has to do is compare pedigrees. And the first thing I realize is, you know, all the, all the guys are, are, are wearing their blue blazers and their you know, whatever, and the, and the ladies are all wearing very, very nice. Like a frat mixer. Kind of, sort of, yeah. You know, I, I felt like those three cats in Animal House, you know, Habu <laughs> and Jabu and, the, you know. <laughs> when I sent Nick, I actually sent him that clip of, it's not over. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So anyways, uh, yeah. So they go around, you know, the one guy, well, I have a PhD. I remember this guy. He was he was a pompous little prick. Uh, I have a PhD in French from Stanford. And I go, and I go, what the hell do you do with a PhD in French? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Exactly. You, and, speak it. you speak. That's what you do. Well, yeah. He just, he just looked at me like, I, you don't understand. And so they all asked me, you know, and, and others had gone to Harvard and, and Georgetown and, and, you know, UCLA and, and all, all, the, all the, you know, nice, expensive yep. schools and, yep. and so they asked me where I went to school. I went to school. I got my master's from Webster, which is a very decent school. They have a good program. And a lot of senior officers have gotten their master's, one of their master's from there. So, hey, I wasn't ashamed. But I'm like, 
Well, I'm just not going to say Webster's and have everybody look down their nose at me because, you know, these are my classmates and I'm supposed to be in a study group with them and I really don't want to like, no, no, Ron, the emphasis on, is on this vowel, not on that vowel and constantly get it, get failing grades, you know, which would really suck <laughs> career wise. So, they so, so, you know, and they all, they, they knew I was DOD. They didn't know I was army and they thought I was just some, um, 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 what's the uh, foreign, foreign area officer type guy, a FAO, okay. and, uh, which is a, a specialized army program for regional experts, uh, country experts, that it's a very small uh, elite group within the army. And I guess there's some in the Air Force and the Navy as well. Anyways, so they asked me where I went. I'm kind of looking around and all these prima donnas and hoity-toities and what all. And I go, well, I did, I did mine while I was doing five to 10 at West Virginia Penn. <laughs> and, oh my god so you know you know so they all looked at me and i straight total straight face i mean it's you know some of some of that training at the farm really did pay off you know i by god i can tell this lie straight to you you know and you know i can put you in this car today for 9.99 you know so, <laughs> So it was, uh, yeah, and a, a couple of the girls came up to me later, and, you know, I guess suddenly I became the bad boy, you know, <laughs> and they're like, so what were you in for in, in West Virginia? And I, I go, well, they only could convict me of moonshining, but, you know, they, they, still <laughs> found, they still haven't found the bodies. So, you know, it was just, you know, after it was just, I just turned it into a joke. But, yeah, it was, um, it was great. So, um but uh, you know, it was uh, the uh, again the uh, we we had to use cassettes and and a lot of interplay with the staff and the staff were all native speakers and Arabic has many dialects um, right. and we uh, our our original one was uh, was a female lady from Palestinian and she was very proud of that and we yeah. couldn't get into that any of the politics of that. Um, and there how was a couple Egyptian. How are you? Because I know how we learn it today, but how are you guys like? That's there was oh, we a just, lot of technology back then. Well, it was we listened to uh, we listened to uh, radio broadcasts from okay, yeah. radio. You know, pick a country. Yeah. Uh, we uh, we listened to uh, videotapes, VHS and or beta. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, of uh, of the 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 Gulf states had uh, their version of Sesame Street. And ah, okay. That's, those, that's those little fucking four-year-olds spoke better Arabic than we did. <laughs> Jesus, pissed me off. Yeah. Um, cool. And then we we uh, you know we had a, a couple guys from Syria, Iraq. Um, you know, I think we had a Yemen guy. But the most interesting guy I remember, uh, he and he was he was kind of shy, but he was he was from Sudan, and mm-hmm. spoke Arabic. And um, of course, we're always curious because he was still relatively new. He just gotten his citizenship and and everything. And he, uh, he, he was really, really proud to uh, be in America and to, uh, he said, and this was resonant of all the things I learned, you know, cause not only do you learn the language, you have to learn the culture of, of the Middle East and the different Arab countries. And, um, and so we got hosted by a lot of the different embassies to uh, learn about their particular culture and their dialects and what all. And it was, I mean, it was not just the language, it was the all encompassing yeah. stuff, but, he talked about Sudan and, and he said, the thing about Islam and, and Arabic, and I'm probably going to misquote him and I, is, um, is they're always looking backwards to when they, they had their glory years. Yeah. And 
they were, and then they were always like, they, they would look forward and be too scared. And then, then they'd go back to, but yeah, but back when, you know, back when we were doing algebra and you guys were still living in caves type of stuff, yeah, yeah. something along, and he says, in America, I could, I could come and I could, you know, I would, I could uh, be the, up to my opportunity. You know, whatever my abilities, my opportunities, I, you know, as long as I was willing to put in the work, I could achieve my right. my level of success. Something like that. It was, it was always very uh, honest and forthright. And I, uh, you know, my parents being immigrants and, and naturalized citizens, that uh, that resonated with me as well. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. So, yeah, I, I feel like that's at the core of a lot of people because. And this is what I was, I mean, I don't want to really get into it because I feel like there's just so much more stuff that, about yourself we could talk about. But that's why I said, like, Twitter's not real. You know, it's not, it's not a totally real representation of the country or the world. It's, it's, it's a very small snapshot of who actually uses it, but not only who uses it, but who uses it regularly. Exactly. What you just said is exactly my it, it's kind of what I hold on to is like when I turn that, when I close that app or I, I put the you know laptop down and I go outside and I up just, for example, at my gym, I was just talking about this with the, with the coach at my gym and one of the, one of the members, she's third generation Mexican. He's first generation Filipino. Like there, there's no animosity. None of that exists. It's just like no. hey, my parents came and did this. We all came together and did this. The, uh, the girl I was just talking about, her parents met at Ellis Island and they were in the same class learning English together. And that's how they met. And, and that to me is what is the real American experience. It's not all this like doom and gloom you see on Twitter, or even if we move it to parlor, which is, you know, they need to figure that site out. But, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. But none of this stuff that's on social media. And I feel bad because there's so many, I feel like so many corporations and companies are forced to react to the Twitter mob. But, you know, Twitter's, it, it's trying to paint itself as this modern day town square. Yeah. Not everybody participating, you know what I mean? Like, my parents no. are participating in that. Like, I mean, and it's not even about the age group. It's just, it's a very small snapshot of the country. But when you go out and interact with your neighbors, I know, Ron, you're up in, the, you know, a, a, a nice area away from everything. You can, you can say it. You can say I won't say your location, but I'm, I'm in the Bay of California. You know what? I don't have any issues with my neighbors or my, or, or anybody that's out there. Like we're all kind of in this together. We realize that, but if you, if you allow the media to, to just dictate your narrative, you're going to hear the opposite and it's not true. It's just, Oh yeah. And, and if you let somebody else dictate, whether it's the media or somebody else dictate your narrative, then you're, I mean, you're literally not an independent American anymore. You're, you're just, you're a subject, not a citizen. Right. So. It is, and it's not true. And, and I just, and I feel like that leads us kind of to where we've gotten to, but you just talked about all that. And I was going to, I was going to highlight, you said the, the DIA's defense was the human inter, the human, human service gift from General Clapper. Oh, that was the sarcasm didn't come through in that. Oh, it did. It came very <laughs> through. But I actually kind of want to jump ahead though because that's fine. Like I said, we could we could talk for hours on the stuff you've done, man. But so pre nine eleven, from what I understand, you were you were in 
Hungary? I was, yeah, we were in Hungary. Um, so I was, by this time I had made my way to uh, to the agency as a, as a detailee, as part of the Intel Community Assignment Program. And... Um, no official. Yeah, I know. And it was, it's actually a great program, although it never does what it's intended to do. It's intended to, you know, broaden people's perspective of the other agencies. So, you know, people in like a DIA or, a, yeah. or a, you know, naval intelligence don't have a stovepipe. They only think there, they, they think broader of all the 16, 17 Intel organizations within the, right. you know, intelligence community. Although what happens is most people, they, uh, they, they, they apply to and get and get selected to you know whatever organization they they want to go to, and that's their way to jump ship. It's sort of a sneaky you know way, and which was my way too. I you know I had no no what whatsoever compunction that I was going to come back to DIA. You know, God help. <laughs> you know. So anyway, so we're so I'm in in the office of military affairs, and and I was one of the uh, people who was working uh, military exercises. You know, the agency would represent, you know, have to send representatives to represent the agency to participate in, in military exercises because we are, you know, we do have authorities that the military doesn't. And so we need to be, we need to be used to working with the military and, and the military needs to be used to working with us because there's a lot of bad history, bad blood, um, you know, every, you know, they, you know, most agency people, by now haven't been in the military and they only know the military from watching bad movies and vice versa with the, uh, the military folks, they, you know, watching bad agency movies. Um, anyways, so, uh, one of these exercises this is before I became a full-time employee, literally, um, was, uh, was we were going over to, uh, to Budapest, uh, as part of the, uh, and I can't remember exactly. It's a, it was a, three agency um there was the state department was in the lead the counter-terrorist office of state department the agency and then people from jsoc were um, part of like an incident response team or or whatever we were going over to uh to budapest to uh to train with the hungarian counter counter-terrorist and, and intelligence services on a scenario which i can't remember because it never happened because <laughs> we 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 let we left andrews air force base on a Sunday, <clears throat> got to, uh, or is it a Saturday? Anyways, and um, so by Monday, we're, we're at the U.S. Embassy, and we're taking over the giant conference room, and, and the ambassador is still, uh, she had just gotten confirmed in, in D.C., and uh, she, hadn't, she hadn't shown up yet. The chief of station was kind of like, yeah, and uh, the, the defense attache was, yeah. So we were sort of left on our own, which is fine. <laughs> and um because you know we're in central europe it's budapest it's wonderful it's you know it's september it's 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 a gorgeous city Absolutely. if you never go to if you got to go to europe go visit budapest I, I, I had a really great experience in an indian restaurant <laughs> where i decided for the first time to elect hot on their food <laughs> so yeah so anyways um i um uh, and we had all packed go bags in case we had to go forward because we were part of a another subset team if if something were to happen real world that we would all go forward and well i I was literally had been picked like days before we were all supposed to hop on the airplane, so 
I didn't pack well and I ha- didn't have the right clothes. <laughs> so, so they, they gave me a small stipend and sent me to the Hungarian clothing mall <laughs> <laughs> where I got to buy very, very bad Adidas, you know, <laughs> shirts and, and uh, polo shirts and other assorted what stuff. New Balance. Oh God. And, and Pumas. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. So we, uh, which all ended up in Goodwill as soon as I got home. Um, so yeah, so we, uh, so me and we, we had lunch and so then we're in early lunch. And so we're bopping back to the embassy. We left the embassies normal. We show back up, we come around the corner and all of a sudden here's all these Hungarian armored personnel carriers, not tanks, but you know, big armored, you know, wheeled vehicles and, and, you know, combat Hungarian troops with still wearing uh, very Russian-like uniforms, which, you know, as an old Cold War guy, you know, you kind of start to have the little heebie-jeebies a little bit there. And, uh, yeah, so uh, we, we you know, whip out our, our diplomatic passports and go through the Hungarian checkpoint, which is pretty easy because we were obviously Americans. And we get to guard post one, which is the 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 initial guard post going into any embassy, and it's manned by Marines. And the Marines aren't in their khakis and and blue trousers with the red stripe. They're dressed. They're in in battle rattle. And we're like, and we're like, hey, Gunny, what what the hell? You know, what's what's going on here? You know, he's he's like, you don't know. You know, passes us in, and and we go back in, and and whatever business was going on in the embassy that day stopped and um, there's all the TVs blurring with CNN, CNN international, BBC, whatever, all showing the same stuff and um, get back just in time, maybe 10 minutes later to see the second airplane crashing into the other tower. And as you said, so um, obviously you, you just laid out, you were in a very different experience than myself. So my experience from nine 11 and when it happened was, I was very involved in music at the time. And I remember I had been up all night and I heard the same thing. And I was actually listening to the Howard Stern show. And I thought it was a joke. I really did. Because he, he was saying, hey, a, you know, a, a, a plane had crashed into the uh, World Trade Center. I'm like, all right. And I had listened to Howard Stern for years at the time. And I was like, this may be a little... All right, you're you you're, you're not you're not on the line. You've definitely crossed the line if this is a fucking joke. You know what I mean? Right. So something told me go turn on the news, and I remember like I went out and it was what was it nine forty eight I think in the morning and the East Coast time when the second plane hit, and I turned CNN on at the time. Literally, the the picture came on on my screen as the second plane hit the tower. Wow. Now, and the thing about it was I was just in New York City in the, in the, uh, from September 7th to September 9th, and my buddies and I had just gone to the, you know, the Windows of the World restaurant in one of the right. So to me, I'm sitting there like, what the fuck is going – like, yeah. not real. This isn't real. Now, what, whatever's going on right now, because, A, I've been up all night, so I'm, you know, not in a great state of mind. But, yeah, it, it's kind of what you said, like – you turned on, yeah. you just happened in real time and you're like, okay. So for you, what was next? Well, so we're all literally the, um, the, the, all the, all us T wires that were there. Um, we, there's also a couple reps from the FBI there on the team. They're on the phone. The state department guys are on the phone. A couple of the other agency people are on the phone. The JSOC guys are on the phone and we're hearing every rumor 
you know, you know, Washington Monument's been blown up, you know, there's yeah. this and that, da, 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 you know, the Pentagon, you know, the whole bit, the Capitol building. I mean, you know, because there was around the other side of the world. You're yeah. not, there's no, internet. There, there's exactly. And there's panic going on in DC. I could only imagine. And the embassy people were totally eh, well, like, yeah, the, the dat and the station guys, they, they were like, uh. and so the, um, the senior military officer, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, <coughs> who is now a four-star general, Scotty Miller in Afghanistan comes up to me, puts his arm around me. And he's a little short guy, but you know, Typical Ranger paratrooper, but welcome to tears. He says, "He says, Ron, one of my jobs on this team was to be the, the, I was supposed to No, I need more bourbon. Synthesize, yeah, synth, synthesize the intelligence and put it into some sort of, you know, comprehensive, easily understandable brief." He says, "I need you to put together something and brief everybody." you know, the combined embassy team, country team, all of us, TDYs, in 30 minutes. Yeah, that's not intimidating at all. Yeah, it was. It was, I, I you know, I mean, I'd given a million briefings in my in my day and, and did afterwards, but that was by far the toughest briefing because I didn't know what I didn't know. I could only speculate. Thank God I speculated somewhat correctly on some of the things. Um you know, we were getting all sorts of fragments of information. A lot of it later was proven to be erroneous. And I was able to, I think, communicate adequately what what we knew for sure, what we didn't know. Um, let me back up. On the flight over, we we were getting real data dumps on real-world intel <coughs> just to, you know, keep us in the loop. And one of the things that we were we were apprised about was the assassination of Massoud, uh, the the Northern Alliance resistance leader in in Afghanistan, by the two assassins that were hired by the Taliban and Al Qaeda. And so, you know, as I mentioned way earlier, um, I'd been following Afghanistan on and off since the the Soviet invasion, or actually the the, the multiple overthrows and coups that happened in Afghanistan before the Soviets came in. Um, so I'm going, Oh, this is not good. Something's going on because why would they want to do Masood? I, you know, I mean, are they going to do a, a final push into the Panjshir and, and try to, uh, you know, eliminate the last resistance to the Taliban regime. But so we were kind of, we're, you know, on that. <laughs> so when the airplanes all hit and I had to give the brief, I went ahead and said, so this is probably the work of Al Qaeda and, you know, yeah, well, yeah, well, <laughs> I, I certainly didn't think it was the IRA or, or the yeah. Japanese Red Army or something like that. So it was, yeah, it was, but it was, it was the hardest brief. And then um, the brief got done. And then we're all like, okay, now what do we do? Yeah. Well, the, exor- the exercise got canceled. Go figure. The JSOC guys all disappeared down to Tezar, which is a Hungarian air base down in South Central Hungary, and uh, to retrograde back to Fort Bragg. And our airplane was, the the, um, Air Force airplane that we'd all flown on was up at uh, Ramstein, or Rhein, yeah, Ramstein, up in Germany. Well, anyways, so... uh, and of course, nothing was flying in the states. You know, everything was shut down, and even though we were official air force and everything like that, so so we spent the next week in Budapest, just checking in the morning, checking at night, 
and uh, the rest of the time was our own. They, the Hungarian, the Hungarian people were absolutely uh, wonderful. They found out we were Americans, <clears throat> you know, lots of free that? beer, lots of free food. Yeah. How was that reaction since you were in a, an entirely separate country? Very support. I mean, the Hungarians, you know, they just recently been, you know, overthrew yeah, the, they've got a great history of their own. They know what's going on. So. Right. But they, uh, so they were, um, they were very, uh, you know, they were, sympathetic empathetic and very supportive of america and yeah. and uh so even even the roma the gypsies yep. you know decided not to pickpocket us quite as much so it was <laughs> yeah so at, I, at the time i was in i was in hungary back in 2008 and 2007 and both times once they found out i was american i was in deverson and we went up to budapest for a weekend but i do remember they're they're very uh, very pro-American. They are. the uh, The Central and Eastern European countries are uh, remarkably very pro-American because they, they still they still remember just within a generation what it's like yeah, to yeah. not be free. I, I remember one of my undergrad classes was the politics of the European Union. And you, I mean, the '90s as a whole was just. You got Ukraine becoming an independent, like all that stuff that went on. I mean, it's not that long ago, and there, it's there are still some incredible geopolitical stuff going on. That oh yeah, because most of us don't even understand what the hell is going on in that world. But uh, yeah, which leads me into my point of what I was saying earlier. But I'll get to that. But rot, I swear, where are we at? We're almost at an hour, but we're not even halfway to what I wanted to get into. <laughs> Well, so, then, get, then just jump to it, dude. Just yeah, go for it. Okay, so the same, same time frame for the most part. So this is when Anna Montes, that scenario essentially unfolded, right? This was after 9-11? Right. Uh, yeah, right after 9-11. Um, Anna Montes was an was a employee of the Defense Intelligence Agency, and she was uh, arrested by uh, federal agents, the FBI, uh, as a Cuban spy. And subsequently convicted and she's in prison until what'd you say 2023 january 8th she gets out so just in time for you know she's getting her campaign together for 2026 there you go yeah um we'll be out in time for the uh whoever gets sworn in as the next president put it that way whether it's trump or it's it's biden she'll be out god help us um this is so it's so 2020 man you know it, it is <laughs> it is um a anyways um wait i'm wrong that would not be the swear in it's 2020 i whatever whatever it's it's all good it's all good so anyway so uh the um so she'd been arrested and um uh the agency uh sent out a uh, the office of general counsel i think sent out a an agency-wide announcement on the the agency for all its faults and foibles is very good with electronic communication very little paper everything's electronic very very easy to navigate even for somebody as boomerisk as i am you know i'm not i'm not quite a <laughs> so yeah so anyways they sent out this like hey you know this is what happened if anybody you know has ever had any contact with her blah 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 you know you should, you know reach out to us and let us know well i had um about a year prior when I, before I'd come over to the, uh, to the, to the CIA, when I was in the DIA defense intelligence agency's exercise office, I'd gone down to, uh, to Norfolk to, uh, Atlantic command at the time, or was it 
JIFFYCOM, Joint Forces Command. I can't remember. They yeah. all look alike to me. <clears throat> but anyways, the um, we'd done an exercise with the uh, with the Marines out of Lejeune and and the and the Navy what Second Fleet there, and and the scenario was basically uh, the Castro's brothers had died, Cuba was undergoing turmoil, unrest, and to prevent a you know a large boat lift coming into Florida, blah blah blah, the United States was going to send the Marines into uh, Cuba to stabilize the situation. Um, and provide humanitarian relief, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, so Anna got picked as part of the DIA team to go down because she was the DIA's resident expert on Cuba. Unbeknownst to all of us, of course, she'd been recruited a long time ago <coughs> to spy for the Cuban government and uh, the Cuban regime. So, yeah, she... Uh, so she was down there, and she was quite helpful to the Marine generals and colonels and the Navy admirals and captains and uh, asked a lot of questions about troop dispositions and how they would do certain things. And oh, So she was bad at this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because this is what I said to you. Like, you know, and, and I think I'm not going to lie. I, I feel most of us just kind of gloss over it and, and hit next. We do this insider threat training. We do this cyber awareness training. And, and this is the type of person we cover. And it seems so obvious because what you just said is like, she's very, she's very overt. Like, you know, but I thought it was, but all of us just thought it was um, intellectual curiosity. I mean, I would have asked a lot of the same it, questions, it, but. but it, it, is, it is very obvious when you look back said on in hindsight. Well, yeah, hindsight's always twenty ten. I got that. So anyway, so I, I clicked yes, and <laughs> I immediately got a phone call, you know, on my little secure line there, you know, like, you know, come see us right now. And so I, you know, I go over to their to their office, and I, in a lot more ad nauseum detail than I've told you in the audience, um, yeah. you know, my whole interaction with her, and they go, oh, okay. And then they, they, they leave me in this room. I literally feel like I'm the, I'm the suspect. Yeah. They go off and leave me, and they come back and say, um, you need to make yourself available tomorrow at this time and and uh, report here at this time. So I did, and and then we uh, we got, got into uh, – I went with uh, them and a couple uh, lawyers from Office of General Counsel, and um, why I needed to, I don't know, but they, they told me, we're not here to represent you. We're here to represent the agency. I go, great. Why do I still feel guilty? I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> And we get into this this beautiful, uh, you know, uh, town car, and we get driven into D.C. And this was literally the only time. This is, I mean, like in the movies, you get. Yep. We're driving into D.C. It's on the uh, between the Capitol and the White House. It's on it's on that side of the of the mall, and uh, there's um here's a door. A bunch of you know businesses, buildings, whatever on on. on but here's a door. You know, it leads into the offices that go uh, on top of the businesses on the on the ground floor, and we go in there and wow, here's some federal protective security officers and and the metal detector and everything like that. Gee, this must be one of those weird federal office buildings that you don't really know about. Okay, <laughs> so we go through all that and we go up to pick a floor and into a into a room, and I I get to meet the. Uh, uh, U.S. attorney that's prosecuting Anna Montez, the senior FBI uh, counterintelligence agent uh, who arrested her and a, and a couple other people from both their staffs who, who took copious notes of 
And I had to repeat my story again. Again. And I told him all that. And, and it really, I, and they, the, the U S attorney said, thank you. You've really fleshed out part of, part of what, you know, we didn't know. And, um, afterwards, uh, you know, we're sort of sitting around having coffee and while they're all figuring out, do I need to be asked any follow on questions? Do I need to make myself available for her trial or the grand jury or whatever? I'm like, what the hell have I gotten myself into? And I'm sitting there talking to the, uh, senior FBI guy. And I say, so, um, Hey, my wife, uh, you know, she's, uh, she's retired, um, army, uh, counterintelligence. So, you know, I, I can even smell CI, right? And, uh, so I said, so, I mean, you, you guys did a surreptitious entry into her, into her, into her living quarters or into her apartment. He says, oh yeah. And, uh, he says, oh yeah. And we found her radio that she communicated with. It's, it's old school. Yeah. To, I, read, uh, I read how she communicated. It's, it's, uh, yeah. But yeah, so he said, yeah, we found it all. I mean, she's, he says, dude, she's, she's guilty of sin. I go, wow. And, and like you, you kind of go looking back, you know, the 2020 hindsight, you're going, yeah, okay. But then if every time I see something, you know, with people asking questions, are you a spy? Are you a spy? Yeah. You know, so it was just, it was, it was like one of those, you know, like real, you know, like, you know, you welcome to the real world. Sorry, the Americans. Did you ever watch that show? No, I, I didn't. I <laughs> I try not to watch too much spy fiction. It. <laughs> well, I know because I mean, obviously you live that, but I I'm I'm always curious when it comes up because it's just like, is it that obvious, or is Hollywood just that you know, it's that fantasized? Where well, the Americans, you know, is based on 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 real on some real incidents of of, of sleepers. But I mean, what you're telling me, like this woman got 25 years. And oh yeah. Wait, wait, and, well, she, well, she was unrepentant, and she continues to be unrepentant. And she's, you know, as, as we said in the, um, what you call it, the the arm wrestling, the fist fight before we started this. Yeah. 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 But uh, you know, I mean, there's you know, one of the things you learn about recruitment is there's there's four there's four types of recruitment. There's there's monetary. You you spy for money. There's uh, there's um, revenge you know because you want to get back at the people there's there's personal ego because i'm smarter than everybody else in there and then the worst one that you is hard to is it's probably the easiest to recruit because they've already recruited themselves is ideological and anna is a true believer and um so that's what, well so what i read she was born in west she was born in west germany Oh, I, yeah, so I read she was born in West Germany, came and went to school at John Hopkins University. Uh, oh, yeah, she had the great pedigree. Yeah, I assume at some point she got her American citizenship. But right, yeah. Like you said, I don't know, because I, it, it's, so, it's so easy to look in hindsight. We're talking 20, 25 years ago, but like I said, when I do this training every year, I'm just like, come on, this is, <laughs> it can't be this obvious, but somebody who really is this obvious and it took a while obviously for them to get caught but also she had risen up to where she like she was this oh yeah she was the subject matter expert for cuba right yeah in, in defense intelligence agency and and um believe me when she got arrested i guess there was a lot of people in dia kind of like no 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 i i had nothing to do with cuba <laughs> it's, 
I don't know, man. It, I've it, always been the Antarctica expert, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is a that is that is a very uh, interesting story that you have and you've got experience with, and I'm glad you obviously did your part in that. But I need to I need to fast forward. So now we're in Iraq. Okay, we're we're going to Iraq because you've got. You know, like 400 to 12 to, okay, not 400, 1200, 12 to 12 <laughs> And you went to Pakistan. But here's my, here's the thing I really need to know about. How did you try to steal Uday Hussein's Porsche? <laughs> it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful yellow 911 convertible. God, we were, gorgeous. We were in Baghdad, we were in Iraq at the same time. So I like this. I was 20. <laughs> well, I, we, we were, um, I, I was the uh, I was the um, one of the agency guys there at at Baghdad. I was the uh, I was in charge of the agency aviation. Okay. At at we were at Bayup Baghdad International Airport. That's where I was hanging out in a little bombed out warehouse. You know? Yeah, but you were you were on, you were on, you were on the skunk side. We were we were on the we were at the VVIP side. You know. I was by the PX. I was fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a true PX. Where I did a four and a half hour wait. You know what? July 4th is coming up. I did a four and a half hour wait in a Burger King line when the USO tour was there with Kid Rock and the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders from 2003, and I passed out in the line. I'll never forget it. But anyway. <laughs> Man, that is just weak. I would never admit that. I would I would say something like, I got called away for duty or something like that. Ah, you know what? I'll own it. It was 120 degrees out, whatever. Well, then, didn't you wear, weren't you wearing your big floppy? Yeah. <laughs> I was. I got plenty of those pictures somewhere. Anyways, anyways. So uh, yeah, so uh, we um, we had to go to the uh, the main civilian terminal a couple times, and uh, <clears throat> the uh, the duty free store was obviously closed. So we uh, we had to liberate. We liberated a lot of uh, a lot of the liquor that was there. I know it well. <laughs> and, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of. Yes, I admit I admit war crimes and theft and not war crimes, but yeah. So you know, whatever it was, spirit missions. That's what we call them, spirit missions, morale boosting missions. Anyways, we uh, yeah, there you go. Anyways, so there was a the parking lot is out there, you know, and with and I happened to, at the time, uh, my wife and I had a Porsche back in D.C. And, uh, wow, ballers! Damn, look at you! Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, everybody's got to have a midlife crisis. Damn, so, uh, so it was, and I see, I see this yellow Porsche out there, and of course, the the top's down. So I'm going, oh man, it's 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 summer in Iraq. I mean, it's it's getting beat to you know the the interior is going to be, but I'm going, hey, let's check it out. <laughs> and of course, it had already been rat fucked by God knows how many people, but we come to find out. After the fact, you know, so we tried to figure out how to hotwire it or whatever, you know. And I said, <laughs> the problem was it was it was it was slammed into a bunch of other cars, so there's no way I could just even get our our tow truck to come and you know like pull it out or anything like that. I would have needed one of those little jets and things to come in, you know. The, yeah, the wow. yeah. so, anyways, yeah, it was. But yeah, I found out later talking to uh, people that were there in the during the UN inspection days that. You know, Uday would drive that Porsche, you know, blast past them on the highways, at, you know, at Mach 6 or something like that. So, yeah, yeah. but yeah, so anyways, yeah, it was, you know, it was kind of, it was one of those cool things, you know, Uday, Uday's Porsche and. and uh, so. Yeah, I, I, I still remember that, man. It was like, I think it was December 13th when they caught Saddam. 
So when was right. when did they kill Uday and who and uh, it was a few months earlier. Yeah, that was like October, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, October. I, I don't know. It was, it was in the fall. I, I remember them because uh, we talked about this. I remember them uh, bringing the remains to Biap initially, and then you write in here how they flew them to Amman. And I just remember, right. like, can we go home? It, no. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, when they caught Saddam in December, it was, like, December 13th. And I was just, like, my, I remember my platoon sergeant. And this, he was the old, crusty E7. And he had been in Vietnam, like, towards the last year of Vietnam. And I'm, like, dude, he's been in, like, 27 years. It's crazy. And he's, like, we caught the bastard. I'm, like, yeah. Are we going home? He's going to go home. And that's what I kind of want to transition into, Rob, because it's going to be kind of a – it's going to, like, really – back up from stealing Usay's Porsche, but it's still one of those things in my mind. It, it sticks out clear as day. And I just, I'm just curious what you thought when you saw it, heard about it, whatever, what it, what was your take at the time of the mission accomplished flag on that carrier? Oh, the banner, you know, at the time, I, I think the, the, the carrier people put it up, you know, they were coming back from a, a, a pretty intense deployment, you know, combat deployment, flying combat missions over Iraq. And so for them, it was, they'd accomplished their mission. And specifically for them. Right. It was for them. And un unfortunately, right. Unfortunately, the optics are, you know, here, here comes the president landing on, you know, on the S3A Viking, you know, aircraft and, um, Everything and he gets off and everybody's really happy because it's it's always a cool thing when the president comes out and visits, you know, your unit, your ship, your you know, yeah, yeah. whatever. You know, so it's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. And uh, unfortunately, you know, and this is where you know the uh, the political handlers or his 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 his, um, his media people sort of really drop the ball. You know, the banner, no big deal, but with him standing the way where his podium was and speaking to the, the, to the sailors um, on the carrier, you know, the banners behind him or off to the one side type of thing. And it was, yeah, not the best optics, especially as yeah. you know, the thing kept dragging and dragging. It was, you know, it was, it's one of those things. It, it's one of those preventable, uh, you know, stupid things that you can, you know, you just have to move the podium. So it's not in the camera shot. So yeah, the media can say the media can sit there and talk about the, uh, the mission accomplished banner, but the president's not in the same, not in the same shot. Yeah. Sort of like, sort of like uh, the, uh, the Navy patches on the, uh, when Trump went to Korea or wherever it was, and they all had these, the, the flight suit patches, which was much to do about nothing because, you know, let's just, you know, let's, you let's know. start an argument over nothing, you know. Well, yeah, but it's because the media doesn't understand anything about the military culture and, and, uh, they, right. you know, and every, everything, everything that the that the administration does is bad. So yeah, and that's the thing. It doesn't matter which administration it is; it's always bad. Well, but this one particularly. I mean, I think the last one got a lot of. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely, like, look, trust me. If uh, you know, and I, and I still actively serve, and I have to watch what I say. But yeah, if there were things done today that were done then, we'd probably have a different reporting. Yeah. Process, let's put it that way. Um, but so going off of that, and then this is what I've always, and I, I don't know. And, and this is why I want to ask you how you feel about it, because 
you know, when you're, I was 22 at the time when I was in Iraq in 2003, like I was young. I was very idealistic. As you say, like I was not, I didn't think about things then the same way I think about them today. And I was very, I, I, I had a lot of emotion creep into things because, you know, I, I, I literally joined, I dropped out of college to join after 9-11. That's the only reason I wanted to. And then I felt like when I got there, I was like, damn, I want to fucking go to Afghanistan. And I'm not. And eventually I did get to go. But here I am in Iraq. But I do remember, like, I paid attention at anything that came out, any email, anything that I could have an opportunity to, to digest and, and look at. Because we were still, you know, Stars and Stripes was running like two, three weeks behind at the time. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't have current news at all. I didn't like, – right. think that was – same day and i just i i pestered my lt and uh i remember his lieutenant weed great dude and he was he was an e3 during somalia like he was an engineer he was in that whole thing and i always hit him up for information because i always tried to get stuff from him and then my commander at the time captain king great dude still in i think he's a full bird at this point great guy um, but I always would bother those guys as a young like i was an e3 became an e4 while i was over there I just wanted to know, like, what the fuck is going on? And then I remember reading about Paul Bremer. Oh, and God. I want to ask you, like, because I was 22 years old, and I tried to immediately when I read it, I read the story. It was Paul Bremer has disbanded the Iraqi army. And they oh, are no, no longer – not only are they disbanded, but they are prohibited from participating in the new army going forward. And my immediate 22-year-old emotional brain was like, if some country came to the United States, did whatever, and said, you know what, the U.S. military, you guys are done, and you don't get to, you don't get to participate in the new military, like, what do you think all of us would do with all of our experience, our wealth of experience, not only that, but our responsibility to our families, what do you think we're going to do? And I remember being in that environment, I'm like, you know, these fuckers are about to join Al-Qaeda. And sure enough, it wasn't hard to predict. Or they just, or they just went, they just went off on their own. Yeah, yeah. I mean. But that's what I, I kind of, because that's me, the emotional 22-year-old. I would. It's I would, okay. You, you, you weren't, trust me, even the, uh, the older 40-year-olds were, uh, were right there with you. And uh, our, uh, our chief of station, when this happened, because he advised strongly against it um imagine that bremer bremer had it in his mind that you know deep bathification because the bath party of iraq was a lot like denazification in nazi germany and um so he wanted to prohibit you know bath party members from participating in the process well that 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 reads well well in in, in a poli sci paper in class but the reality is that you know, a lot of people join because it's a way to get ahead. But the the the, the people that are able to make things happen, the, the local politicians, they're going to be bath party people. I mean, you do some sort of maybe uh, cleansing, re-education, whatever. You know, to you know, re you know, you know, disavow loyalty to the previous regime type of thing. When when um, he disbanded the the Iraqi military, the, the army, air force, and their three person navy. Um, <laughs> sorry, yeah, I got I got a bust on them. The, um, I mean, that was the thing is, it's not just they're disbanded because they'd all gone home. Yeah. They were all home. Yeah. But the thing that people forget: why were they so upset? Yeah. 
not because, but probably a little bit because their pride and the you know, pride of their country and patriotism and things, but they were getting paid. They were getting paid by us, uh, the, the U.S. and not the agency, but, but, but the U.S. government. And suddenly they're, you got no more paycheck. Yeah. Well, exactly. you know, let's see. I know I, I know how to get to the local weapons storage unit, you know, with all the RPGs and mortars and everything. I, and <clears throat> yeah, it's, you know, I, I can either join a group or I can just be pissed and you know, start going rambunctious on my own. Or, or what do you like? I, I think about that scenario, Ron, like if it was me and it was reversed and I was a 22 year old who just is all of a sudden told you've got nothing. What, so what am I going to do? You're going to shout Wolverines. <laughs> yeah, but th I mean, that's, that was my point. I remember living through that. And I, I just remember reading that in the, in oh, the, we were, we were so like, stupid. How does this make sense to anyone above? Cause I'm 22. I'm, I'm a fucking E4. No one's listening to me anyway. But I just remember thinking like, how does this guy do this? And there's no pushback. And I don't, I'm not saying there was. I'm just saying. Like, well, but let's see. General Sanchez, who's who's an yeah, absolute tool. Ricardo Sanchez, you know, you yeah. know what? Quick antidote. Quick antidote. And I can't speak. Quick anecdote. <laughs> Ricardo Sanchez, his daughter was dating a PFC in our unit who was attached to us at the time, and he came over and visited him at the Baghdad airport. It was hilarious. It was so. But anyway. Whatever. Yeah. But he was an absolute. He was a tool. An, another overpromoted <laughs> lieutenant colonel. But. So, yeah, so, uh, I, I mean, and the people that, that Bremer brought over, I mean, because I got to meet them all at the VVIP because they flew in on, on, on agency air aircraft and things like that because um, they, you know, they can't fly, you know, U.S. Air Force stuff. So, but I, I mean, all the, um, literally the, this, the, the, the Biffs and Buffies and, and uh, all the, uh, all the, all the self-important, you know, political donors and their sons and daughters showed up and they were going to implement Jeffersonian democracy in Baghdad and, and the rest of the country. And a friend of mine was, you know, at the, uh, in the green zone there at, at where they were building their headquarters and so, and the big fight was not over, you know, programs and policies and, and moving, moving the country forward it was like, I want to get a window over looking over the pool so I can check out, you know, those, those young female Republicans. And yep. so I, it was, I mean, it was, it was, just, so senior agency people come over cause everybody wants to, you know, do the victory parade and things like that. And, uh, you know, we'd been downtown talking around and my Arabic was not the best, but a little, but, you know, so the Iraqis are talking to us cause we're Americans and, and we're talking to them and we're listening to them. And they're asking us, like, what's going on? What's happened? I mean, you know, we used to have electricity pretty much 24-7, and now we get it maybe four to six hours a day, and, you know, water's turned, you know, on this, you know, qual you know basic Quality life thing. Absolutely remember that. Yeah, you know, and, um, you know, so they're saying, and they say, so we're hearing from these guys, the old Fedayeen, the old, you know, Iraqi Fedayeen, which morphed into Al-Qaeda terrorists, you know, you know, just general bad guys. Stop. My dog's bothering me. And, <laughs> no worries. And, 
<laughs> so anyways, you know, and so I, I tell like the number three guy in the agency, I says, hey, this is what I'm hearing when I go to, when I'm going downtown to the different souks, you know, when you're going having your meetings with Bremer and Sanchez and, you know, whoever else, you need to, you know, like we need to get out there and do, do some positive things, you know, get these civil affairs guys going, you know, let's get the AD guys out there going. Right. And the whole point. And I just, I, I literally got, you know, like, you know, they're all looking at me like the RCA dog, you know, like the, huh? <laughs> yeah. I'm all like, Jesus. And um, so the, the chief of station I, I mentioned, well, he, um, he was pretty, um, pretty upset by the whole developments and that Bremer and his gang was doing. And, and he sent a pretty uh, honest, never to be declassified, but blistering cable back to dc and uh, yeah well he shortly got fired after that too because it was you know there's there's a lot of things about iraq that um about the build-up and and things like that that um i i can't talk about but i will say this that um if you know and and history is always you know and the people who forget about history and don't remember it especially the little things are are um you know you know, they should be taken out and horsewhipped at least a little bit. But <laughs> so I always say historical illiteracy is, is a, is a, is a crime. But if you remember after desert shield, desert storm, um, you know, Clinton becomes president, George, you know, Herbert Walker Bush, the written, the first Bush, he takes a, a, you know, a retired president takes a victory lap tour to Kuwait to visit the country that he organized the coalition to liberate the country. And <clears throat> Saddam tries to assassinate him. Unsuccessfully, thank goodness, and all that. But um, just so fast forward a few years later, you know, like, okay, now, uh, you know, we, we got Al-Qaeda 9-11, you know, we're in Afghanistan. You know, I've, I can now, you know, beat up the, beat up the mofo that, that tried to hurt my daddy. Yes. And I, you know, and it, for all the other reasons, I, I mean, and everybody says that, and it's like it's it's almost like a joke. But when someone like yourself says that, it almost sounds like we can't discount that anymore. We have to realize that this was what this well, was. Well, they they always like they say, oh no no that's that's you know you're 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 too pedestrian. You you don't understand. And they try to paint it in such broad, you know, very you know. $20 word terms. No, they like do the presentation of the justification for it. I was, yeah. Like I said, there's, there's some things I was, I was read into that, you know, about things and I just, you know, I read them and I, and I literally did the, huh? <laughs> I, I mean, who wrote this crap? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, during, during the whole, with uh, that whole initial tour with, uh, and I think it was also the second tour. Um, David Kay, who had been assigned by uh, the president to hunt for the WMDs. Yeah, yeah. And, him is, and David Kay is a really nice guy. I mean, I, I don't know his politics, and I really don't care. I mean, he was, he was a great guy, and I, I did him some solids, and he did me some solids and, and things like that. But uh, he, you know, it was, you know he, he took his mission seriously, but he, I think deep down he knew he wasn't going to find anything. It was, it was, it was frustrating. It was all moved across the border to fucking Iran. 
Well, I think a lot of it, that, that's, that's one story. The other story is that, you know, like Saddam comes into the room and everybody's in fear for him and he goes, Hey, you, Eric, Mr. Nuclear Weapons Bomb Developing Dude. You know, how's it coming? Why, God, boss, it's, we're, we're this close. We're this close. And he comes, hey, Ron, you're the bioweapons dude. You know, how are we doing? Oh, dude, man, I got germs coming out my ass. You know, I mean, we're, we're, ready, to, we're ready to execute. Hey, you, uh, George Bull, or, or what is it, Gerald Bull, the, that, that big cannon dude, you know. You know I mean, these guys were all so it was it was all literally like Potemkin village of, of threat. But you know, when we would have our infrequent poorly reporting human sources tell us what was going on, they were reporting what they heard and what they knew, which was so we were acting on bad information. So it was go on. No, leave me alone. Now, now that you you you've I mean now that I've ruined everything. No, you didn't ruin anything. It's just, it's, it's, I feel like it's just, unfortunately, it's a, it's, it's a time where I wish more people would look back with a, an actual intellectual curiosity and realize we, 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 for lack of a better term, we fucked up with that moment with Paul Bremer and wherever, right? We, we did. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I, I literally had discussions with, um, with senior army officers, general officers, multiple stars. Um, they were literally over, um, I think we were through at least one bottle of, of scotch, single malt, sorry. Um, hey, I never turned down a general. When he's, when he's, when he's, it, not scotch, Ron. <laughs> hey, hey, it was his, it was his liquor. <laughs> and he would say, and he literally looked at me in the eye and says, what do you think about, you know, the whole question about Bremer and, and the, you know, disbanding the Iraqi military. And, and I would, I told him it was, you know, a mistake. And he goes, so did I. And, you know, and, and you know, I'm looking around going, you're a freaking three-star general at the time you were a two-star, you know, but, you know, you know, civil, civil authority, we work for, you know, the military and, and you know, work yeah, for this. And even, you know, the chief of staff, was it, was the chief, was General Shinsheki chief of staff at the time or was he just... I think so, because that was the whole Black Beret time, too. Or was it Schoomaker? I can't remember. You know, have some fucking pride in your appearance, and you can make a beret appear the way it's supposed to be. But (laughs) I just remember everything with General Shinseki. He essentially told everybody, like, hey, it's not going to be that easy. And everyone's just like, ah, whatever. I don't know. Well, but I mean, I don't think. Yeah, I mean. I mean, I remember the my early, my early time in, in Afghanistan. Like it was, um, it was right, it was right before, right after Anaconda, and uh, I have some some senior DOD guy come up, and he's all, you know, and again he 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 flew in agency air because, you know, the Air Force was all, you know, couldn't couldn't find their, you know, playing with two hands type of thing, and. Uh, yeah, it was it was pathetic, but he comes up and he and we're getting ready to put him on an airplane from Kabul back up to Tashkent, and he's asking me, you know, hey, you've been here for a while, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And I go, you know, this dude is not anywhere in my food chain. Yeah. And and I I'm, I mean, and I looked down and I says, hey, I'm going to tell you one thing before I answer your question. You've asked me a direct question. You are going to get a very direct, you know, you know battleship broadside honest answer if you don't like it don't ever ask me the question you know type of thing and he goes oh okay and he says so and he asked me all about 
fuck.